My Car Guru, Season 12, Episode 13. Okay, I just snuck in for another fresh edition of My Car Guru, where if you've listened to this program or podcast for more than probably 90 days, you know that I don't always talk about cars. Sometimes I talk about life. Sometimes I talk about business or business, and sometimes I just talk about whatever the heck I want to. And then it's up to the listener to decide, well, is this something I want to hang in there with or not? This is going to be one you're going to want to hang in there with. Because my wife asked me a question the other evening that I was kind of surprised about. We were watching the Kansas City-Baltimore game. And she was, uh, I guess they were focused on Andy Reid, who is the head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. And she looked at me and said, what does the head coach do anyway? I looked at her and I said, what? She said, yeah, what does the head coach do? I mean, there's a guy that handles the offense, and there's a guy that handles the defense, and there's a guy that handles the special teams. I was surprised she knew that. And you got all those people up in the booth and everything. I mean, what does he do? Well, I just had to, you know, I thought about that for a second, and, and I thought about, you know, there's a lot of organizations probably, and a lot of people that look at organizations and say, what does that CEO do? You know, how, how important is that guy or gal at the top? I mean, they don't, for example, in, in uh, my organization, I'm the CEO of Gateway Ford and Gateway Nissan, but I'm not standing out there on a the lot selling cars. I'm not standing in the service drive waiting on service customers. I'm certainly not back there turning wrenches. So what the heck do I do? I had a new employee. Uh, He's working in the cleanup shop, and I always go to meet my new employees. Sometimes I don't know that they've been hired. And so I go back to the detail shop, and I knew we had a new person. And I looked up, and he saw me coming. He knew who I was. He said, hey, Lenny. And I was a little bit shocked by that. But anyway, I walked over to him and I stuck my hand out, introduced myself. I'm Lenny. I'm the I'm the dealer here. And uh, what's your name? And he told me. And he's really excited about cleaning up cars for us and doing all the detailing. He says, "What do you do?" Well, I hate just to say, you know, well, I own the place because that's that can come off as being arrogant. But it kind of caught me off guard a little bit. And I don't know, should I feel obligated to explain my job description to a guy that's working in the cleanup shop? You know, it is important, I think, for the people in your organization to see you operate and kind of learn a little bit about what you do and who you are and so forth. Uh, We try to have uh, at least three meetings during the year where we bring everybody into the showroom and we have just kind of a a catch-up time. Question and answers. Maybe I would call it a town hall of sorts. And, you know, it's not really, it's not something I really don't get a lot of questions. It's more me talking about the status of our company and, you know, how how is business? A lot of people hear rumors about things, you know, whether business is good, really good or really bad or whatever. And you want to quell as much of that as possible or pump it up as the as the case may be. But, you know, sometimes business owners, they really need to think about what do they do? You know, what do, I know they stay busy. I stay very busy. There's a lot of detail work. 
you know, when I come in, I have to avoid certain things. Um, one of the last things I want to do is jump into my email because it it distracts me from the things I really need to be doing, which is connecting with the key people in my business and making sure that that we are staying true to our operating principles, our processes, the things that we do, but also to our mission and to be able to continue to take care of our customers in a way that exceeds their expectations. Who sets the expectations in a business? You know, it's not the employees. They don't set them uh, because everybody comes in with their own set of circumstances and and prejudices and, and things that they believe in. You have to make sure that those people buy in, right, to your organization. You know, I saw a phenomenal example of this on a very large scale when I became a Ford dealer. Uh, Ford Motor Company was just all over the map, kind of like they are now to a certain degree. They're trying to decide right now whether to be in the EV business or not. Uh, of course, uh, Mr. Farley, our CEO, is was heavily committed, was heavily committed to the, the EV business and building all these plants out in Stanton, Tennessee, two monstrous battery plants, one in Kentucky, one in Tennessee, and, and then the manufacturing plant for lightning pickup truck trucks and the new truck that we have coming in Stanton, Tennessee. Big commitments, big uh, expectations from dealers as well to install the, the electric infrastructure that is needed to charge all those vehicles. But, you know, that market has turned the other way for a while. I mean, this, people are pushing back because they just don't think it's, it's viable because it's not in the short term. You know, I drive an electric vehicle every day. I love it. But it, it's just not for everybody, and I wouldn't think about going on a cross-country trip. I wouldn't even go to the beach in it because I don't know where I would charge. And plus, my range is only about, I think, uh, 280 to 300 miles. But back in 2005, I became a Ford dealer. You know, been a Chevrolet dealer since, uh, well, my dad bought the dealership in 1971, and then I, I started in 78. I actually became the dealer in 84, so since then, I have been, well, with my dad, we were both kind of in charge. That We uh, had some disagreements <laughs> during that time period. I had to assert myself, and he had to let me assert myself. But we got along great for the most part. You know, occasionally there were differences. But the bottom line is people knew who was in charge, and it was me. Now, if they didn't like what I decided to do, occasionally they would go around me to my dad. And then my dad would call me in and say, are you sure you, you want to be doing this this way? And sometimes he was right, probably more often than not. I look at it in retrospect, and I wish I had listened more and taken it to heart rather than being defensive. But you know, sometimes kids will do that with their parents, right? But uh, when I became a Ford dealer, back to that, um, Alan Mullally, who was the, he was a like the number two, number three guy with Boeing, the people who make jets. And a Ford Motor Company was able to hire him away to become an outsider uh, CEO, you know, somebody that had never been in the car business. And, oh, Ford Motor Company, they just, they were ridiculed right and left by the automotive, probably the business side of the automotive press and Wall Street and so forth. They said they couldn't believe they were hiring somebody from the outside to run the Ford Motor Company, but that's exactly what they did. 
And thank goodness, because he changed the culture. You know, you think about one man and the impact uh, that he can have on a uh, company that has thousands upon thousands of employees and, and, you know, 20, 30 different factories and a worldwide presence. And one man comes in and changes the entire culture of the Ford Motor Company. That's what Alan Mulally did. You know, his first meeting was at Ford Field, you know, where the Lions play. And they needed that. They wanted to impress the new dealers, and, and they wanted everybody to see this guy. I mean, all the entire company, especially Bill Ford, who was uh, the the well was the CEO and then became the chairman of the board, which he still is. Um, he knew that something big had to happen, and so he brought in this guy, and they had this big meeting at uh, at Ford Field, and all the dealers were where I'm sitting there in a chair on the football field, you know, and we have this big show about the Ford Motor Company, this video presentation, and then. Here comes Alan Mulally. And when I heard him speaking, it gave me confidence that uh, this guy can save the Ford Motor Company. And he did. He prevented the Ford Motor Company from going into bankruptcy because of his actions, because of the approach that he took with the company. And I'll get into more of that here in just a minute. So she said, what does the head coach do? And at first, as I said, I was caught off guard, and then it made me think that there's a lot of people in organizations that really don't know what the guy at the top does. Uh, they should. If he is so detached from the ground floor where a lot of the employees are, then that's sad, and that's the situation in a lot of businesses uh, because too often the the CEO uh, becomes detached, and it's – it's on purpose because he doesn't want to have to do all those jobs and, and they, they lose touch with what's really going on. See, when you're an automaker, you've got a lot of masters. I mean, you've got your shareholders. Um, you've got the people that hold your bonds, you know, that control your debt. You've got all your employees. You've got the union that you have to deal with, which we saw an example of that uh, last year. You know, when, when the unions went on strike and wages were increased by dramatic amounts. And then you've got dealers like me. You've got, uh, that's your outlet. That's your retail outlet. That's how you get things sold. See, Ford can't sell vehicles uh, without going through dealers. Nor can General Motors or Toyota or anybody else. They're all uh, set up basically at the same system to allow independent dealers who are franchise holders to sell their products. And that's a lot of strong-headed individuals. You know, you're quite the entrepreneur if you can pull off buying and owning a dealership and operating it successfully. But we are very committed to our local markets. We know our local markets, and we know our customer base. The Ford Motor Company doesn't. You know, one time, this is before Alan Mulally, a guy named... Jacques Nasser came in to run the Ford Motor Company. And he thought he knew way better than dealers did. So what they did is that they bought, bought a bunch of dealerships in Oklahoma City. And uh, they called it the Ford Auto Collection. And so Ford owned, I can't remember how many dealerships it was, but it was 10 or, 10 or 15 dealerships that they purchased 
in and around Oklahoma City. And they decided they could run car dealerships better than car dealers could. Well, guess what? They hired a bunch of former car dealers. A lot of the dealerships that they bought, they kept the original dealer there in place to run the thing. Well, it was a disaster. It didn't work. And the Ford Motor Company, Jack Nasser, had a hard time admitting defeat. Uh, he went on to do some other silly things, like buying Jaguar and Volvo and increasing his ownership in that they already had in Mazda. But, uh, and then he took Lincoln, and they were going to put them all into this thing called the Premier Auto Group. And so, you know, Ford started saying, well, we can build Jaguars a whole lot cheaper and better than Jaguar could. And part of that was true. I mean, the, the manufacturing processes and, and the economies of scale that Ford was able to bring to the table did help turn around Jaguar from a quality standpoint, but sales plummeted on all of those. Uh, they also bought Land Rover. And when Jack Nasser finally got fired and they brought in Alan Mulally, uh, the first thing Al Mulally did is when he drove into the Ford headquarters on day one, uh, they gave him directions. He was just following the signs and went to the parking garage. And he's underneath Ford World Headquarters there in Dearborn, Michigan. And he drives in. He's trying to find a parking place, and he just notices one thing right off the bat. He didn't see a single Ford, not one. Uh, he, he did see some Lincolns, but mostly what he saw were Volvos, Jaguars, and Land Rovers. And the name on the outside of the building said Ford. He thought that was rather ironic. Not too long after that, he made the decision to sell off Jaguar, to sell off Volvo, to sell off the interest in Mazda and Land Rover. Because not only were they not making money, but they were taking Ford away from what Ford was. This is the kind of thing that CEOs do. Uh, this is the kind of thing that a head coach does is they evaluate the situation. They evaluate their, you know, their product line. They ev evaluate their, their uh, middle management and upper management. They look at everything that they do, and they question it. They make people justify why they do what they do. You know, I think the worst thing a, a new CEO can do is to come into a company and just start hacking away at everything. First, they have to bring everybody in and talk to them and see, you know, what do you do for a living? What do you contribute to the organization? I would highly recommend a book uh, to anyone who is in business or just if you want to understand what happened to the auto industry before the Great Recession and how it all piled up and General Motors ended up taking bankruptcy and so did Chrysler and why Ford didn't take bankruptcy, I would read this book called American icon. And it was labeled that because, you know, that's exactly what Ford is. I mean, if you think about the companies that have lasted in this country, you know, for long periods of, for, you know, since anybody can remember, since anybody that's still alive can remember. I mean, you think about General Electric, Ford, General Motors, Procter & Gamble. Seems like all we ever hear about now are Companies like Tesla and Microsoft and 
any company that happens to be in the tech sector. Because making soap powder and building washers and dryers isn't exciting. GEs and the General Motors and the, the Exxon, those types of companies are the ones that are still functioning and going strong on the stock market and in terms of earnings and dividends and things that they do. They are the backbone of this country. You know, just go through the Dow Jones industrial averages. I mean, the industrial stocks that are that make up the Dow Jones, and you'll see uh, what companies are still the most dominant and the most important to this country. And every single one of them has a culture, and that culture is defined by the CEO of the company. He is the captain of the ship. He's got his hand on the rudder, and it controls where the ship goes. So that, my dear, is what the head coach does. You know, it could be like a Pat Summit. You know, she was the head basketball coach, for those of you who aren't around here, from around here, at the University of Tennessee. A female basketball coach of the female, the Lady Vols, I should say. Was she effective? You bet. She was a culture maker. Um, you know, you, you look at Nick Saban and what he's been able to do at Alabama. You know, these people come along every now and then, and everybody wonders, or the majority of people, what makes that person so successful? Why are they so good? You know, so much of it is stuff that is something you never see. You know, it's what happens in the locker room. It's what happens in the meetings. It's, uh, it's the people that get promoted and the ones that get ejected because of... Uh, they just don't go along with their plan. You know, it's the ability of that leader to uh, take or take advantage, I guess, of the, the best ideas that people come up with and know when, you know, an idea may sound good, but it's really not and will actually have a negative impact on the business. It's that insight that they're able to bring to the table. Some have it and some don't. But one thing for sure as you can tell by the results, the ones that do and the ones that don't. Okay, I'll be back in just one minute. Have you ever worked for an organization where the leaders were just completely out of touch with the people that work there? I feel sorry for you if you did. It can be like a disease that infects the whole organization. But you know, when you have somebody come in from the outside with a fresh perspective and uh, a, a really bright vision that they can sell to everybody. I mean, it can turn around in a situation in a heartbeat. But what most CEOs do is they don't recognize it soon enough. They get comfortable, and they continue to operate kind of in a vacuum. I mean, I've seen it happen in car dealerships before. I, I found out about a dealer recently that just went out of business, and this person was very high up as far as dealer organizations are concerned, especially with their relationships with the factory. They have these things called dealer councils, and they these dealer council members have to get elected in order to represent other dealers on, on the council itself. So um, found out that this, this guy is uh, closing down. He's being closed by the manufacturer because of financial issues. Shocked me. Had no idea because of his role as, as far as the dealer council is concerned. You just don't know. You can't tell 
what's going on in somebody's business. Now, he's a car dealer, or was a car dealer just like me. But more than likely, my, I'm just guessing here, is that, that he took his focus off of what is the most important thing. And I have done that before in the past myself. I have paid a, a, a severe price because I took my eye off the ball. Thank goodness it didn't stay off the ball long enough for it to do permanent damage, and I was able to survive it. But, you know, you can get where things... I tell you what, the most dangerous thing for me is for things to get too good for too long. People get complacent. I get complacent. So uh, in my old age, I am encouraging my youngsters, all these people that work for me now, to don't fall into that same trap. And they probably will. But the important thing is, uh, is to understand the difference between a rut and a grave. You can get out of a rut, but you can't get out of a grave and you're the one that puts yourself wherever you are. Take responsibility. It's the CEO's responsibility. Don't blame the people on the, on the front lines because you're the one with your hand on the rudder, and don't ever forget it. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. I will visit with you again tomorrow.